Father, I'm always impressed at this point in our service of how it becomes quiet in our sanctuary. Much of our waking day, Lord, is filled with noise and people and activity. And you purpose for us to come together and to be quiet before you. You have so much to say to us, so much to impress on us, so much to share with us. And so often we're talking, and so often we're doing, and we're not listening to you. You've given us the gift of your Holy Spirit. And you've told us in Scripture that your Holy Spirit will reach down deep inside of us and will bring forth groanings of prayer of things that we wouldn't even normally think about. So right at this moment, you are with each one of us. And you're very much a part of our time of prayer. Father, if we would focus uniquely upon you, we have a great deal to give thanks for. Contrary to what some might say, you are the creator of this universe. You are, dear God, the one who's given life and breath and purpose to all of your creation. You are the one, dear God, who has set in place an order and even a ranking. You're the one, dear God, who has set lifespans for all of your creation. And you're the one, moment by moment, who tends to your creation. Father, we're here in part to give thank you to you for what you have already done. But you're also a God who, before the foundation of the world, knowing exactly what was going to happen, ordained that we might come to faith. Ordained, dear God, that we would be so struck by your grace that our hearts would be changed and our minds would be renewed and we would stop following after the darkness and start following the light, Jesus himself. And here we are. It's our turn, dear God, to worship you and to do that in your grace and in your power. Father, I ask you to forgive us. So often we almost willingly stumble back into the darkness. And we allow the things of this world to influence the way we feel and the way we think. I pray that forgiveness through the shed blood of Christ, knowing that that is sufficient for the forgiveness of our sin. And knowing, dear God, that it blots out from your eyes and from your memory the sin of our life. And that it ushers us with a promise into an eternal relationship with you. Thank you, dear God, for the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ. Father, there's a lot going on in our community and in our world. We were stunned this last week to hear about a tragic 
occurrence in Great Water community. And Lord, that community and one of our churches in the Lake Oconee area and children and members of a family have all been struck with grief. I pray for your help for those who are so touched by the tragedy of the loss of life of a man and the disappearance of his wife. And Lord, I would ask you to bring under conviction those who were so very hard-hearted. And I pray, dear God, that you would bring them to repentance as I pray that your peace would be with those who are hurting so much. Father, we have a tendency to forget how dark this world really is. And we hear about little children being kidnapped from school, not one or two, but hundreds. We hear about other human atrocities around our world. And maybe, Lord, it's because we get those things in little doses every few days that we don't realize the magnitude and depth of the darkness. And in contrast to that, Lord, you have touched us. And here and around the world, you are calling people to yourself. I thank you that you're not thwarted, not by Satan. Not by circumstances, not by majority opinions, but you're working your purpose out. And I thank you, Lord, that you allow us to be the recipients of that grace, that we might be a living witness in the midst of this darkness. Father, I pray your blessing on our country. I pray, Father, that you would allow us to experience renewal and that we might be a part of that renewal. That it would start in the privacy of our own thoughts and expand to our homes and then to our friends and our work area. And I pray, dear God, that it might take on a snowballing kind of effect and roll across this country. How much we need Jesus to be Lord of our country and Lord of the lives of the people here. Please help us, Lord. Please be with those who are in military uniforms and for those who are serving you in a whole variety of other ways. And I pray that your spirit would be with them wherever they are at this moment. I thank you, dear God, that you are faithful. And I thank you that you have awesome power. And I thank you, dear God, that through that faithfulness you're working your purpose out. Help us to give praise to you, Lord, and help us not to lose sight of what you're doing. Please, dear God, I pray you'd continue to bless the good works of our church. I pray that you'd continue to give us energy and resilience and help us to be the church and the people that you want us to be. I thank you most of all for Jesus as we pray in his precious name. Amen. I'd invite you to open your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy, the fifth 
I beg your pardon, 2 Timothy, the first chapter. We're going to start with the fifth verse. 2 Timothy, the first chapter, and we're going to start with the fifth verse, and we're going to study through the eleventh. Our practice is to keep our Bibles open and our laps to follow along verse by verse so that you can see why I say what I say. Let's pray together before we approach God's Word. Father, this is one of those encounters that you invite us to on a frequent basis where you're about to speak to us, dear Lord. The only thing that prohibits us from really communing with you right now would be our own personal lack of attention. For you have recorded this, you have inspired it, you've given your spirit to us, and he's prepared to help us to digest what we're about to look at. So I pray, dear God, that you would help us to surrender anew. And let this be a very special time when we focus on you and your word and might hear you speak to us. Bless us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a little background to help us understand the context of what we're about to hear. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to a young man who's come to faith. The Apostle Paul is nearing the end of his life. He's established a great many churches in Asia Minor and in Greece. He's been arrested. He's been taken to Rome. He was incarcerated in a pretty gentle kind of environment, apparently in a home. And while he was under guard, he was allowed to have visitors. He had some normalcy to his life. And then it appears that he was released from prison that he went back into some of those churches that he had loved and had helped create. Spent quality time with those folks, but almost in the sense that he knew that time was ticking away and the end was getting closer and closer for him. He's rearrested. He's taken back to Rome. And now it's not a pleasant experience. Nero is the emperor, a man who was so very evil and who hated the things of God. A man who very well may have hated his own people. And Paul is now back in prison, and he's writing a letter to this young preacher, Timothy. If you look at all the folks who accompanied Paul during his ministry, it would appear that Timothy was with him as much or more than anybody else. And Paul knew him very well. So when Paul writes these words, it's a lot of personal contact, a lot of having observed him. Let me read the passage to you. And listen very carefully as God speaks to us through Paul's letter. Second Timothy, the first chapter, beginning with the fifth, fifth verse. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. 
For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Aren't you curious how I'm going to get this around to a Mother's Day sermon? I was attracted by one phrase in this part of Paul's letter that brought me to it. And I'll show that to you in just a moment. Paul's writing to this young preacher that's been with him a great deal of the time on his missionary journeys. It would appear that what had happened is on that first missionary journey that Paul took, as he went out and started churches, that he met a lady named Lois. She had a daughter named Eunice, who had a son named Timothy. And Grandmama and Mama came to faith. And the son who lived in the home was the benefactor of that. And it would also appear, and I think this is a logical conclusion, that while some of the church fathers were still in Jerusalem, that what Paul was doing was handing off the evangelistic dimension of his ministry to young Timothy so that he might continue outside of Israel to spread the gospel and see new people come to know Jesus. So with all of that in mind, you start to read this, and he says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. When he thinks about Timothy, Paul thinks about a man who is filled with sincere faith, not just talking the talk but being willing to really walk the walk every morning when he gets out of bed, no matter where he goes. And Paul recognizes that in Timothy. You know, I read things like this, and I stop sitting at my desk, and I think, I'm closer to the end than I am the beginning. Some of you identify with that? I'm a whole lot closer to the end than I am the beginning. A few of you identify with that. If anyone should speak of me, I wonder how I'll be remembered. If someone should talk about you even now, how do they refer to you? They talk about number of children you have or don't have. They talk about what your yard in your house looks like or what kind of car you drive. They talk about your human accomplishments. What, what are you remembered for right now? 
I'm sure that Timothy, while he was still young, had accomplished a lot of things. And Paul says, you know, Timothy, what I remember about you? I remember your faith. Because you have demonstrated that in my presence. That's what he's saying. I have been a witness to your faith. And I think that comes as a challenge to every one of us. To say, what is this life all about? What am I doing with my life? Am I a person of faith? Or have I allowed other things to crowd in and to force my faith to be secondary to all these other human things? This past week, a phone call, 911 call, was made in Sumter, South Carolina. When the call came in, it was a young 13-year-old boy making the call. He asked for help, and he was crying. The 911 operator called the Sumter Police Department. They sent an officer and a patrol car by. When the policeman got there, the 13-year-old boy was sitting on the front steps, crying his eyes out. And he was saying to the policeman, please get me out of here. Please take me away. I don't want to be here anymore. And the policeman, through a process that he was trained to take the young boy through, the policeman discovered that the little boy didn't have a bed to sleep in, that the little boy didn't have a place to sit to do the homework that was required in the school that he went to, and that just generally he wasn't very well taken care of and felt pretty unloved. Now, you know what that policeman did? Most procedure is you take him in South Carolina out of that home and you turn him over to the county and the county gives him housing and food and puts that child in a foster home for a while. And that is a well-organized process. In this case, the policeman got the mama and sat down with her and talked with her. After he talked with her, he went to the store and bought a bed had the bed delivered to the house. They put the bed in the house for the boy to sleep on. The policeman paid for that. And then he bought a desk and a chair and had it taken to the house and put in the house. And then he began spending time that week, last week, with the little boy. He didn't just drive away. And he has committed himself to spend time with that little boy in the future. Now, how is the policeman going to be remembered? His picture is on the internet, as is that story. His picture and the picture of the 13-year-old little boy were on the front page of the Sumter newspaper. I would dare say as police cars drive down the street, people in Sumter are looking to see who's driving the car. And when they think about that police officer, they're going to think about a man with kindness and compassion who took personal responsibility because God gave him an opportunity. How are you and I going to be remembered? Is it because we have faith and because we live that faith out on a daily basis? 
And that faith influences how we think and how we feel and how we use our resources. I think that's what would please God. And I do believe that's what Paul had seen in young Timothy. He'd seen a man, not just who was learning how to preach, not just a man who was spiritual because he could stand before people and influence them, but Paul had been up close to this man and he could see the times when his heart was exposed and when he lived his faith out. Lois and Eunice, You know, there are a lot of ways to come to know Jesus. One of the most meaningful ways is not to wait until you're a teenager or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or whatever and walk down an aisle. There is a much better way. You know what the better way is? For your grandmama to know Jesus. For your mama to know Jesus. For your granddaddy and your father to model the things of Christ so that the child grows up their whole life in the presence of godly people. And apparently, Timothy was blessed by growing up with a grandmama and a mama who knew Jesus personally. I I want you to know, I go back and read Deuteronomy 6. Make a note mentally. I go back and read that with some frequency. Because it has a very simple formula that applies to all of us. You read the Ten Commandments. You understand the commandments were given to us as a way of saying to us, know that you're a sinner. You can't do all ten of these things even in one day. You're going to mess up. So they're intended to help us understand we need a Savior. The flip side is the Ten Commandments are given to us also to help us know how to live our life. If we will just strive to keep those commandments, life will be much better for us because the one who created us gave us those guidelines for life. And then he also says to us, and I want you to take the teachings of Scripture and I want you to teach them to your children. Praise God for my wife who did that early in our marriage when I was busy making money for my family. Isn't that a joke? But that's what I used to tell myself. Any of you identify with that? I'll bet a lot of us do, don't we? Well, what the passage tells us in Deuteronomy 6 is that we are to raise our children We're to expose them to the things of God. We're to help them understand the Word of God. And that we're to take the Word of God and we're to put it on the doorpost of our house, which means we're not to be ashamed, but we're to let the whole world know that we're a unique people touched by God. Well, that's the kind of home this boy was raised in. Are you saved because your mama or daddy are a Christian? No. It's individual. It's when the Holy Spirit moves on you and you come into a saving relationship. Is that relationship potentially blessed because you have a mom and a dad or others in the house that know Jesus? Absolutely. I liken it unto greasing the slide. It just plain makes it easier. I think back about my mama. 
She had me in church all the time. I was there every time, literally, the doors opening. You know, I didn't get a vote. I don't ever remember her saying to me, Sonny, you want to go to church today? Or would you please get dressed and hop in the car? We're going. It's Wednesday night. My mother took me to church with her. I didn't come to know Jesus. Isn't that something? All those years. But when the Holy Spirit moved on me, guess what? All of that history came alive for me. And it was all part of God's plan. Mamas and daddies are so essential. We celebrate Mother's Day. (laughs) Here's where I'm getting it in now. I know you've just been bated breath waiting. We celebrate Mother's Day, and rightly so. It can either be a biological celebration or a biological and spiritual. It's pretty easy to be a biological mama, isn't it? And there are a lot of those. Just like there are a lot of biological dads. But to also be a spiritual mom like Eunice, that's what it's all about. It's about creating an environment where Jesus is Lord of your life that our children might see that. I hear about committed Christians who go on vacations and take their family with them and don't go to church on Sunday when they're on vacation. And I want to take them in a corner and say, hey, hey, don't do that. What you're doing is taking all of that Christ-centered example and you're just snuffing it out because you're saying on vacation he's not really very important. Instead, use it as an opportunity. I think the mamas who are remembered most and most fondly are the ones who are there and hold their children, maybe cry with their children on occasion, certainly cry for their children on occasion, even after the children become adults, but who consistently are a light for the child to see in the darkness. And that's what this young man had the benefit of. See how I got that in? Being a mama spiritually is so very important. It's how God passes the faith on from generation to generation. And if we do that, we don't have people walking the aisle. Instead, they know Jesus throughout their whole life. And at the right moment, they will personally accept him as Lord and Savior which is essential to that process. It doesn't diminish it at all. Verses 6 and 7. What was happening at the time? Paul says to young Timothy, and look at his words, he says, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh. You know what that means? Go to the fire. Get it to flame back up. Get something and fan it. Make the fire burn faster and hotter. He says, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You know what he's talking about? 
He's saying, you know, not only have you been called to faith, and not only are you doing a good job by being a minister of the gospel, but God has given you a gift. Over in 2 Timothy 4, 2, he identifies that gift. He says, you've been given the gift to preach. Well, I hope you know, if you read through Corinthians and Ephesians and 1 Peter, there are about 23 or 24 different spiritual gifts that we can identify that the Holy Spirit gives to his people. 1 Peter 4.10 says something really significant. It says that every one of us, without one exception, who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, have been given at least one gift. Every one of us. Now, why does God give a gift? When I give a gift to someone or you give a gift, do we want them to take that gift and say thank you and put it in the closet and close the door? Or do you want them to unwrap that gift and enjoy it? Don't you try to pick something, hopefully, that pleases them, not just you? Something that has some sort of utilitarian or emotional impact on them? Well, that's what God does with us. He has given each one of us at least one of those 23 or 24 spiritual gifts. For some people, like Paul, and you can see it in the 11th verse, he says, I have been given the gift to preach. I've been given the gift of apostleship. I've been given the gift to teach. He mentions his three gifts. Do you know what your gift is or gifts? You know how you know what a gift is? You find yourself wanting to use it. It kind of oozes out. And you look for opportunity. It might even get you out of your comfort zone, but it's okay because there's a power at work and you sense that power is at work and you know that you're moving into the area you ought to move into. You see other people respond positively and you know God is blessing other people You may get tired, but you're resilient. You recover very quickly. And it's because it's a spiritual gift that's at work. And you go home at night and you say, praise God. Praise God, something good happened. I used my gift or gifts. Folks, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, please come see me. Spend some time with me. Uh, I've got a spiritual gift survey I'll give you. We can talk together. Find out what your gift is. Don't put it in the closet. That's not why God gave it to you. A healthy church, mark this down, is made up of people who are using their spiritual gifts. I've said this many times in churches, and I think it really surprises people, but folks, it was predestined you'd be sitting here today. It's not by accident. You didn't just happen by. God orchestrated it through a whole variety of things. And here you are today at Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. And guess why he did that? He did that for you. He did that so we can have fellowship. He also did that so he gets the gift mix he wants in this church to accomplish what he wants our church to accomplish. You see how important it is that you unwrap your gift? If not, please excuse me, you're just filling the seat. If not, it's just about what you're trying to get. 
And God wants you also to experience the blessing of giving. That's why he gave you the gift, that you might give it away. So I encourage you, find out what your gift is if you don't know. If you do know, look for opportunities to use it. 8 through 11. What should happen next? He says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel testimony that has been given. When you're out in public, don't be muted because you know there's spiritual darkness out there. Don't join in and talk in a way you shouldn't talk or engage in things you shouldn't engage in because what they do is they neutralize your ability to witness. And this isn't just a Sunday experience. This is a way of life that God's talking about. So don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of who you are spiritually. And don't be ashamed to associate with other people who happen to be in that unique group of people who have been graced by God. Two Sundays ago, I stood here in the pulpit and I made a suggestion to you. I suggested that you and I reintroduce God into our community. Some of you remember that? I know you remember everything I say. Don't laugh. (laughs) But I did. I encouraged you to do that. Linda and I joined some other couples, and we went over to the landing, and because the main dining room was full, we ended up in a private dining room. At the end of the server serving us, I turned to the server, and I said to the server, Ma'am, I hope God blesses you today. And she stopped. She was about to walk out of the room. She turned around and she said, and I hope God blesses you. And her smile was about that big. I want you to know I've never had anybody rebuke me for saying, may God bless you. And I'm sure I've said that to the atheist. But who didn't want to get blessed? I walked out into the foyer after we'd had lunch. That dining room was filled with a bunch of you. We had a table of six or eight over here and six or eight over here and four here and four here. And as I walked out at the end of lunch, someone from one table came to me and somebody from another table came to me and they said, it works. We did it this morning. I bet the wait staff was really talking about us that Sunday. One of the waitresses in there was invited back about a month and a half ago to pray with us at our table, and she held her hands out, and we held hands around the table and prayed over our food and for her. Folks, reintroduce God to this fallen, unregenerate, perverse generation. You and I, don't be ashamed. Open up your heart and open up your mouth and see where the Holy Spirit will take you. And I want you to know you're all qualified to do that. You don't have to have some kind of special merit badge. You've already got it. He says to us there's power in the gospel. And that word power, if you take it in the original Greek, it means something that's explosive like dynamite. So if the gospel is presented, it's going to rearrange people. It's going to rearrange the way they think and the way they feel and the way they behave. 
and you can be the vehicle that helps that to happen. And then Paul does an interesting thing. If you look at the verses, he says, starting in 9 and through 10, something that he has said over and over and over again in all of his letters. And you might ask yourself, why does he keep going over this same ground? We've already accepted Jesus. We already know who he is. He says to us, who has saved us, talking about God, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. You know how often he says that to us? That would suggest that we might be slow learners. Or it might suggest there's a whole bunch of stuff crowding our heads, and he knew that was going to happen. So he keeps re-injecting these thoughts over and over and over again, saying, let me tell you how we got into relationship. Before I created the world, I decided I was going to love you guys. I wasn't only going to give you life, I wasn't only going to build a family unit around you. I wasn't only going to give you talents and abilities and spiritual gifts. But God said, I also decided I was going to love you and give you salvation. I was going to save you and through a holy calling, I was going to cause you to want to have a relationship with me. I love the term. It's an irresistible kind of grace. It's not forced on us. It's just the natural thing to do when he loves us. And he said, that's what I've done. And I did it before you could ever perform any kind of good work. So I'm not really looking for what you can do for me. I just came to do for you. I came to save you. Now, why does he tell us that over and over and over again? He doesn't want our minds and our lives to get so clouded by what's going on out there that you and I lose our uniqueness. You are a unique person. Every one of you. Because Jesus died for you that you might live a different kind of life now and might experience life eternal. I love the way he says it. For Jesus Christ, who abolished death. Isn't that going to be beautiful? Never to cry again because somebody you love has died. He abolished death and brought life here and now and immortality, life forever. He's describing us. And you know what? If he does that often enough, and if we record it often enough and think about it, you know what happens? We start living that out. It just becomes part of who we are. But if we fill our heads with other stuff every day, if we read other stuff, if we watch other stuff, if we listen to other stuff, if we involve ourselves in all kinds of other things that actually are counterproductive to spiritual growth, your growth will be minimized. 
Paul understands under the power of the Holy Spirit what you and I need. And he's saying, here's how I want you to live your life. Folks, walk with the Lord and let him have you. Let him use you with your family, with your friends, with others. Let's pray. Father, it is true. No more amazing book has ever been written. No more amazing opportunity has ever been given than for us to open this book and to read it under the power of your Holy Spirit. And no opportunity has ever been given that's greater than the opportunity we have today to walk out of here with your Holy Spirit having freedom to apply the Scriptures to us, that we might be light in a dark world. Thank you for loving us enough to talk to us today, Lord, and for this time together. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. Are you ready? Has life changed out there? Are you better equipped to go out there? If you are, praise God. If you're not, you can meet right up here in this corner with me and we'll talk about it. What an awesome group of people we are. Filled with the power of God and enabled to walk with Him. And to really be a light in that darkness. God bless you and God keep you. May God use you. May the spirit that already dwells in you be quickened and influence the way you think and you feel and what you do this week. May God bless you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.